animation. Uh, we're back. Okay, guys. Um, it's been a while. Were we fired and we didn't know? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they, somebody they called us back, so I mean, we're doing something right. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't getting paid, and I think I think uh, I think uh, they, uh, finally hmm. called me. Try to get through this shit heap. Take one. <laughs> It's often said that a film has three storytellers, the writer, the director, and the editor. Each role in the process crafts, breaks down, and rebuilds the story in their respective realms of pre-production, production, and post-production. The writer crafts worlds and journeys for the characters who live in it through their words. The director brings those worlds to life and contextualizes those characters and adventures by capturing thousands of independent visuals through his lens and the editor organizes, arranges, and composes those visuals into a moving piece of interlocked art. That third storyteller is one of the components that truly separates movies from other stage performances. That is, until 1948, when a certain master of suspense decided that his latest story was gonna play out in real time as one long take in order to make the audience feel trapped in the same room as the movie's killers. We're taking a long look at the film shooting style of the one-shot movie in this episode of Cinovations. Talking movies every week. Talking movies every week. Cinovation. 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 By Jeff and Corey. Alfred Hitchcock is widely heralded as a film pioneer and sinovator, not just for his mastery of suspense, but also for pushing the limits of the medium. The ambitious decision to make his 1948 psychological thriller Rope as one perceived continuous shot is just another example that the filmmaker was never satisfied with what was expected. The film also features an elaborate set backdrop with a scaled-down New York skyline transition lighting to simulate dust to sunset, neon lights, and moving clouds. On top of all that, this would mark the first time Hitchcock would tackle shooting in color. The idea to shoot in one long take came after Hitchcock saw the play from which the film was adapted, wherein the events of the play were also carried out in real time. The story follows two young and entitled Harvard elites named Brandon and Philip, who, in an act to prove their superior class and intellect, decide to try and get away with their perception of the perfect murder. Their victim is a schoolmate of theirs named David, who was selected for being all too ordinary. The film begins with the two men committing the murder by strangling David with, you guessed it, a rope. They then stash the body in a large chest, which will serve as the centerpiece and buffet for a dinner party they're about to host. In a twisted move, the guests that Brandon and Philip have invited include David's father and girlfriend, as well as their professor, Marianne, and the skipper, too. Um, no, mm -mm. no that's, uh, that's Gilligan's Island. Uh, way off script. It's oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. 20 years after this movie as well as their professor, played by James Stewart, whose lectures planted the philosophical seed that gave them the idea for the crime. Our main criminals revel in the excitement 
that David's loved ones are enjoying hors d'oeuvres inches above his lifeless body. Their smug demeanor alerts their professor's suspicions, and just as it seems they've accomplished their goal, he returns to the apartment. Then, at the climax, their professor, under threat of a concealed handgun in Brandon's coat pocket, tears apart the transparent guise of their crime, stalling them long enough for the authorities he's called to arrive. After seeing the play, Hitchcock was intrigued by the events of the story playing out in real time. The sun setting on a midsummer New York evening, the idea that there was no relief for the audience, the thought of accomplishing such feats on film stirred a whirlwind of ideas of how he could and would translate the play to film. Until that point in cinema, most films consisted of thousands of shots less than a minute in length. Editors would then be tasked with stitching together those fragments into one cohesive story. They would also have the ability to alternate different shots to help build out the context for the story's scenes and tone. Hitchcock himself had relied heavily on editing to help cement his mastery of suspense. With Rope, he effectively eliminated this role and the various post-production tricks he leaned on heavily with the decision to shoot the film in carefully planned long takes. The only thing standing in his way from completely eliminating the editor is that Film cameras at the time could only load and shoot 10 minutes of film at one time. Ultimately, an editor would be needed to put the final eight reels of film together, but their role would be more utilitarian than creative. To achieve the illusion of one continuous shot, Hitchcock would have his cameras focus close in on a surface or pass closely behind an actor in a scene at the end of the 10 minute mark. The next long take would pick up from that position and the ensuing 10 minutes of performance would be captured. As a result, actually shooting rope would have to be meticulously planned on a scale that had never been done before. The actors, cameramen, sound technicians, and remaining crew would be choreographed into a sort of 10-minute waltz to capture each continuous take. Imagine at the time filming a show-stopping number in a Hollywood musical. A soundstage full of actors and costume dancers who had spent days getting the steps just right, as not to waste the studio's time and money with an abundance of takes. Now, imagine that the cameramen, sound techs, grips, and gaffers had to also keep step with the performers. It's said that Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did just backwards and in heels. The crew members of Rope did it while moving set walls, heavy cameras, and furniture, all while trying to be as silent as possible. The walls of the set were specially constructed on greased rails. Additionally, all of the onset furniture sat atop casters. At various cues throughout filming, walls would be slid and furniture rolled aside to make room for the camera movement. They would then be moved back in time for their movement to be unnoticed when the camera swung back around to show that portion of the set again. The actors had to make sure they hit their marks at precisely the moment that the cameras got into place and ensure the pacing of dialogue didn't rush or slow the scene's timing. Jimmy Stewart was quite displeased with the choreographed long takes. He said to have lamented on the set at the time. Well, uh, well these, these cameras are more important than the actors. The cameramen and their assistants followed numbered markers on the floor. 
Small spotlights were fixed to the cameras so their operators could see the numbers on the dark soundstage floor. They would move to each sequential number by listening for specific line cues, then make sure they were at their final position, exactly at the 10-minute mark. One flubbed line, heavy-footed crew member, or misaligned set wall, and the whole reel of film would need to be scrapped and the shot reset to its beginning. One mistake and you didn't just blow a take, you blew 12% of the movie. But no pressure. The limitations Hitchcock placed on his film meant that he had to reimagine new ways in which to build his signature suspense. He could no longer rely on snappy editing or juxtaposed camera angles to pull the audience to the edge of their seats. The one aspect of this new style he could rely on though was the audience was a silent guest in the apartment who quite literally knew where the body was hidden. They'd also be removed from the power to warn the unaware actors on screen of the horrible crime that they themselves had witnessed. This made the audience an unwilling accomplice in the crime itself. And the suspense draws from the near misses at being exposed along with the murderers. Ultimately, the film proved more gimmick than classic Hitchcock thriller. Audiences and critics of the time generally panned the film, with Hitchcock himself even reflecting, When I look back, of course, it's quite nonsensical and unreal, because I was breaking all of my own traditions of using film in the cutting of film to tell a story. I don't know why I really indulged in the stunt. I can really only call it a stunt. If not for the leaps in cinematic innovation, Cinevation, Rope would likely have been relegated to the classification of grandfather of experimental art films. While it didn't win any hearts, their work would further examine how the audience's unbroken gaze, either for a full film or for an extended scene, can help set a tone, mood, and pacing for their worlds. This groundbreaking film approach would see more favorable reception some 66 years after Rope, when Alejandro Iñárritu debuted his 2014 black comedy drama, Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, starring Michael Keaton. Inaritu's fresh take on the one-shot film allowed the audience to be seamlessly transported through the space and time of the world he created. The film was rewarded for its efforts by receiving four Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Achievement in Cinematography. Five years later, director Sam Mendes would use the one-shot approach to create his World War I epic, 1917. Mendez's film would go on to receive 10 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. By the end of the evening, the film would take home three awards, the most prestigious of which would be Best Cinematography. Though Hitchcock didn't live to see the awesome impact his stunt of a film would have on future films, his zeal for pushing the limits of the medium and his own filmmaking made him a Hollywood icon. To Hitch and all those who would seek to accomplish something that had never been done before, we salute you and your cinovation. Fuck. You guys are just the pinnacle of professional. And that wraps up our Cinovations episode. Corey, why don't you tell everybody about our social media? If you'd like to continue the conversation of one-shot movies, or if you'd like to tell us all the information we got wrong, please follow us and hit us up on Twitter at Switch Envelope or on Instagram at Switch the Envelope. Of course, you can always go to switchtheenvelope.com for all your podcast needs. All of your Switch the Envelope podcast needs. Not all of your podcast needs. We're not equipped <laughs> to handle all of your podcast needs. 
Well, we can definitely handle all your switch the envelope needs. Um, that's it for now. Go see a movie, and we'll see you later, Switches. See you later, Switches. Talking movies every week. Talking movies every week. Sinovation. 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 Hosted by Jeff and Corey. The following has been a Riff Laugh production.